0: Ucopia Radio presents Sherlock Holmes goes on holiday Sherlock Holmes was studying some travel brochures from the recently established firm of Thomas Cook when there was a knock at the door Forgot Nuki again, he asked, opening the door to his friend Dr Watson How did you deduce that? asked Watson To Holmes it was simple It's partly the way a flock of geese adopted its distinctive V formation as they overflew the cemetery, and partly the sound of leather on willow coming from behind one of the larger sarcophagi. But mainly it's the nature of your face. Mobile homes? asked Watson, to which Holmes replied that, on the contrary, it was more like a caravan. Slow and hard to get around. Watson entered and, noticing the travel brochures, asked, Holiday homes? Holmes replied that he was indeed planning a holiday, but that he couldn't decide what form it should take. Some years previously, he'd visited Europe's major cities by train, but it had been most unsatisfactory. Accommodation unsuitable? asked Watson. To which Holmes replied that, on the contrary, he'd had a most commodious compartment with every modern convenience, but a murder occurred on the train, and he'd remained aboard to solve it, while his fellow passengers disported themselves in Venice Lido and the steam baths of Budapest, He'd also tried cruising, but that had led to an unfortunate incident with an elderly widow, and he was lucky not to have found himself in an Egyptian prison. "'Ever thought of camping?' asked Watson. Holmes conceded that he hadn't, at least, not as a form of relaxation. Watson urged him to consider it. "'You just pack your gear and the world's your lobster!' "'Oyster,' said Holmes. "'Not at the moment,' said Watson.' "'But I'll take one for Lord Smallpeace.' "'He had an all-night sitting, "'followed by an early-day motion. "'Said I'd see him at the pudding club this evening. "'Help him keep his pecker up. "'An oyster and the helping of spotted dick "'should do the trick.' "'Watson could see that Holmes "'remained unenthusiastic about camping, "'so offered to show him the ropes. "'I'll dig out my old army tent,' he said. "'And Miss Short's. "'It'll be a bit of a squeeze, mind. "'In that case,' "'said Holmes. "'I'll bring my own shorts. "'Where do you propose to go?' "'South of France,' Watson replied without hesitation. "'Holmes balked at the thought of the expense involved. "'It won't be expensive if we use one of these no-frills rail lines. "'Easy train will take us all the way from Victoria to dot map dot map asked Holmes. "'This was a place of which even he hadn't heard.' Probably in the middle of nowhere, said Watson. But I expect you'll we'll be able to catch one of these newfangled charabangs to the campsite. <laughs> Their journey was rather noisy, the train being full of stag-doos and hen-parties. But it was cheap. As Watson had predicted, map was in the middle of nowhere. Its main feature, a war memorial commemorating a battle that had been fought there. Not even Watson, with his military background, could understand why anyone would want to fight a battle over it. Perhaps they were fighting to get out, said Holmes. They found a sharabang stop, and the timetable told them that they were in luck. There would be a sharabang to the campsite the following day. So they pitched their tent beside the stop. Hammering in their tent pegs was so difficult that Watson wondered at the nature of the rock. Sedimentary, my dear Watson, said Holmes. Next day they arrived at the campsite. It was pleasantly situated in a citrus grove. A lemon entry, my dear Watson, said Holmes as they walked through the gate. Ideal, Holmes, said Watson. It was a typical late Victorian campsite. Germans with their recently invented Mercedes, Italians munching their freshly baked Garibaldi biscuits, and camp reps bending over backwards to please. They pitched their tent... Then Watson went in search of vin, while Holmes pored over his French phrase book. By midnight, both were satisfied, and they fell into a deep sleep. <laughs> the following morning, Holmes found himself alone at breakfast. Assuming that Watson was off on another Gallic symbol fantasy, he was about to begin his coffee and croissant when a strange woman approached and wedged a note among the croissants before disappearing into a throng of Russians, who were having their morning vodka with a splash of tea. The note read, "'If you want to see your friend alive again, meet me by the spring that provides the source for the two-million-year-old water that they bottle and sell at extortionate prices.'" Two million year old water,' thought Holmes. "'That must be well past its sell-by date. I wouldn't pay a centime for it. Unwilling to meet a strange woman on an empty stomach,' Holmes finished his breakfast, then made for the spring that the note had mentioned. When he reached the spring, he found Watson spread-eagled on the ground, the jack-booted foot of the strange woman on his chest. I see old habits die hard, he said to Watson. But before Watson could reply, in one seamless action the strange woman discarded her hat, then her bodice, and was about to remove the first of her six petticoats when Holmes realised that she was none other than... "'Professor Moriarty?' "'You'll never get away with it!' he exclaimed. "'On the contrary,' replied Moriarty. "'I've already replaced the peerless Granny Smith with a bland French apple. "'Next!' "'Before he could finish, Inspector Lestrade emerged from a nearby tent. "'An easy train express had gone missing, and he was following a line of inquiry. "'Arrest this man!' Holmes called to Lestrade. "On what grounds!' "'asked Moriarty. "'What man?' asked Lestrade, "'who was still under the impression "'that Moriarty was a woman "'and to whom he'd taken something of a shine. "'Moriarty insisted that his question be answered first. "'The grounds of Dotzule map,' Watson told him. "'The man with his jackbooted foot on Watson's chest,' "'Holmes said to Lestrade. "'Without replying, Lestrade drew his webley from his shorts "'and levelled it at Moriarty. A loud crack split the morning air. No one was sure if it was the report of Lestrade-Webley or... one of the recently invented Mercedes being started. All they knew was that, when the smoke had cleared... Moriarty had vanished... and the Schmidt family were off on a jaunt. That evening, sitting outside their tent with a bottle of Armagnac... Holmes asked Lestrade what had made him suspect that the strange woman was, in fact, Professor Moriarty. "'Was it your innate ability to sense when and where a crime is about to be committed?' he asked. To which Lestrade shook his head. "'Your Metropolitan Police Training?' asked Watson. Lestrade shook his head again. "'A deep understanding of the criminal mind, perhaps?' said Holmes. Once again Lestrade shook his head. ...drained his glass, then said... ...Sherlock Holmes. Holmes and Gardens Sherlock Holmes was watering his window box... ...when there was a knock at the door. It was his friend, Dr Watson... "'Forgotten your key?' asked Holmes. "'How did you deduce that?' Watson replied. "'Well,' said Holmes, "'it was partly the way a tree fell in the rainforest without making a noise, "'and partly the number of crop circles that have appeared recently. "'But mainly it was the unmistakable howl of Peruvian jackals.' "'Yes,
1: they are a bit
0: of a giveaway,' Watson agreed. "'Then, producing a letter from his coat pocket, said, "'We've been invited to Professor Monsanto's for the weekend.' "'He's a keen horticulturalist.' "'Does his wife know?' asked Holmes. "'She approves,' said Watson. "'She's one of these modern women.' Watson described some of Monsanto's more unusual horticultural interests. These included daffodils that could be eaten for starters, main course, and dessert. "'Wholemeal flowers,' said Watson. "'What are his other interests?' Watson replied that he had developed bulbs from which he grew tulips that needed no tending. Self-raising flowers, said Holmes. Even better, where does he live? He's got a pile at Greater Bottomley, said Watson, to which Holmes remarked that that would probably mean he should take his black bag. They caught the 450 from Paddington, changed at St Mary Mead, and were at Professor Monsanto's in time for dinner. Over dinner, Professor Monsanto expatiated on the benefits of genetic modification. He believed that it would one day be possible to cross a monkey with a dense thicket and get a bush that would run for president. Watson thought that this was pure fantasy, but by the end of the meal, Holmes was beginning to suspect that there was nothing pure about Monsanto. The following morning, Watson found himself alone at breakfast. He wasn't very hungry, so he settled for a boiled egg. Two rounds of toast, four rashes of bacon, a helping of kedgeree, and a pot of tea. After breakfast, he went into the garden, where he saw many strange things. There was a King Edward's on a chaise longue. It was a couch potato. The flowers were unusual colours. The roses were brown, the violets were grey, and the fuchsia's orange. Then he spotted a strange-looking citrus tree. "'He approached it, muttering, "'Wonder what this can be?' "'A lemon tree, my dear Watson,' said a familiar voice. "'Holmes!' exclaimed Watson. "'But why the disguise?' "'Holmes explained that he believed that Monsanto "'meant to replace politicians with mutant vegetables.' "'Watson found it hard to believe that anyone would notice the difference. "'But then a thought occurred to him. "'The Prime Minister could be a giant turnip.' "'Precisely,' agreed Holmes. "'And his coalition partners could be a bunch of deformed cabbages.' Holmes shook his head thoughtfully. "'No, Watson,' he said. "'There'll never be Greens in Parliament.' As they were considering these appalling possibilities, Monsanto appeared from behind the potting shed. He had his Webley in his hand, and he meant to use it. "'You'll never get away with it,' cried Holmes. "'On the contrary.' "'replied Monsanto. "'I've already replaced half the cabinet with runner beans. "'The other half are has beans. "'Soon you and your amanuensis will be fit only for spreading on the roses.' "'This sounded like manure, "'and Holmes was about to say as much "'when Monsanto was surrounded by a pack of dogs, "'closely followed by Inspector Lestrade. "'They'd escaped from the police compound, "'and he was following a lead. "'Arrest him!' Cried Watson. On what grounds? sneered Monsanto. The grounds of Great Bottomley. You'll never take me alive. As you wish, said Lestrade. He was years ahead of his time and only too keen to show that the police are a service, not a force, and drilled a neat hole in Monsanto with a neat drill that he'd found in the greenhouse. Tell me, said Watson as they sat in the train on the return journey, What made you suspect Monsanto? Well, said Holmes, it was partly the saucy laughter coming from the cucumber frames and partly the way the lilies winked at me as I passed. But mainly it was what I found in the gazebo. This is from the Moriarty Institute of Garden Management and World of Domination. Sherlock Holmes and the Case of the Missing Fang Sherlock Holmes was on the fiddle when his friend Dr. Watson came round. I deduced from your appearance, said Holmes, that you had a fine repast yesterday evening. How did you deduce that? asked Watson. Well, it was partly the caviar on your collar and partly the lobster on your lapel. "'but mainly it's the portion of dessert in your ear.' "'You'll have to speak up,' said Watson. "'I'm a trifle deaf.' "'I said, dined with an old chum. "'Known him since school.' "'Elementary, my dear Watson.' "'No, public.' "'Name's Acula.' "'Dr. Acula, the well-known Transylvanian blood specialist,' asked Holmes. "'Bloody nuisance. "'Didn't arrive till gone twelve. Said he'd had an appointment with the children of the night. Anyway, must be off. Dining with Lord Smallpeace at the pudding club this evening. After they'd had dinner, a starter of deep-fried black pudding, followed by steak and kidney pie and rounded off with treacle sponge, washed down with a couple of bottles of the Lafitte 86, Lord Smallpeace confided to Watson... "'I'm worried about Lady Smallpiece. like you to take a look at her.' "'Already have,' said Watson. "'Fine figure of a... "'Ah, see what you mean. "'Tomorrow morning do? "'Capital.' "'Meanwhile, at Smallpeace Towers, "'Lady Smallpeace was preparing for bed. "'She knew there was little chance of her husband returning "'before he'd had his roly-poly. "'When she heard something at the window... "'Either the window-cleaner was working late, or... "'It is I, Dr. Acula, and I desperately need a drink. "'Dime in a sample of your blood.' "'Lady Smallpiece was only too pleased to oblige, "'offering him a whole armful, which he accepted with relish, "'a dash of mustard and a spoonful of extra-hot lime pickle. "'Hot stuff, Lady Smallpiece. "'You're so kind.' ''Now, you must excuse me. I have to return to my coffin. I am in bed.'' <laughs> so saying, he left by the window through which he'd entered, but landed heavily, breaking an incisor. The following morning, the curtains were closed when Watson entered Lady Smallpies' room. A brief examination showed to his satisfaction that she was still a fine figure of a woman, "'He asked her what the problem was. "'It's my get-up-and-go,' she replied. "'It seems to have got up and gone. "'Yes. "'I was bitten by a bat last night. "'There's a lot of it about this time of year. "'Fortunately, I've got some anti-bacterial cream. "'Take it and rub it in whenever you feel the need. "'I feel it coming on now. "'Would you mind giving me a hand?' Not at all. Two hours later, as Watson was leaving, he passed under the window of Lady Smallpeace's room and spotted a strange-looking object on the ground. He picked it up, intending to show it to Holmes. "'It's a fang,' said Holmes, after a cursory examination. "'Odd shape for a fang, don't you think? Fangs ain't what they used to be. I think we should pay Lady Smallpeace another visit this evening.' But when they reached Smallpeace Towers, they found a note from Lady Smallpeace pinned to the door, saying she had gone to St. Sepulchre's for some spotted dick. Holmes calculated the distance between Smallpeace Towers and St. Sepulchre's to be somewhat over 26 miles. "'It'll be a marathon,' he told Watson. "'But if we run, we should make it in time.' "'In time for what?' asked Watson. "'In time for dessert.' or perhaps I should say, in time to prevent Lady Smallpeace becoming dessert. They reached St. Sepulchre's in record time, only to find that Dr. Acula was already tucking in. "'So good of you to join us,' he said, proffering a plate full of unidentifiable morsels. "'Perhaps you'd like a bite.' "'Good God!' exclaimed Watson. "'What's that?' "'Judging by its virulent crimson hue,' said Holmes, "'I'd say it's tandoori chicken masala, "'though it could be lamb balty with a coriander garnish. "'But I have something else in mind. "'How do you like your steak, Dr. Acula?' "'Or perhaps I should say... "'Dracula!' So saying, he produced a wooden stake that he'd sharpened and brought along for this very purpose, and plunged it into Dracula's evil heart. Within seconds, the foul fiend was a pile of dust, fit only for the bagless innards of a Dyson. The following evening, as they were on their way to a Halloween party at Small Peace Towers, Watson asked Holmes how he'd come to suspect that the supposed sanguinary specialist Dr. Acula was in fact none other than the blood-sucking beast Dracula. Well, said Holmes, it was partly the unmistakable whiff of Peruvian cheroots that hung about him, and partly the popular weekly magazine that I spotted him reading. But mainly it was his frequent visits to the blood bank. He never made deposits, only withdrawals. Sherlock Holmes and the Case of the Belated Christmas Sherlock Holmes was putting away the Christmas decorations when his friend Dr. Watson came round. ''These are rather splendid,'' said Watson, fingering two small round objects. Holmes agreed, then asked him to return them to the box with the other baubles. ''I've had a letter from a late chum,'' Watson continued. Raising an eyebrow in a clear sign that he was intrigued, Holmes asked, ''How can you send a letter if he's dead?'' I didn't say he was dead, Watson replied. I said he's late. Three weeks late. That's how he leads his life. Three weeks later than the rest of us. Extraordinary fellow, said Holmes. What's his name? Chumley. Charles Chumley, the chair of the Chudley chapter of the Cheddar Cheese pairers. That's the chap. Lives in Stowe on the world now. Stalwart of the Stowe stonemasons and storytellers. "'He's asked me to be in the pantomime.' "'It's behind you.' "'What is?' "'The box for the fairy.' "'What a pretty dress,' said Watson, handing the box to Holmes. Holmes agreed that it was indeed a pretty dress, then added, "'But I've had enough fun for one year. "'Which part does he want you to play?' "'The dame. "'Can he not find someone locally?' "'Apparently not. "'Seems there is nothing like a dame. "'Nothing in the world. "'So it's a musical?' I didn't know you could sing, Watson. Goodness, yes. Used to sing to the troops before they went up the Khyber. What about when they came back? They didn't. Stow on the world, you say? I suggest you catch the 450 from Paddington. Change at St Mary Mead. I predict there'll be someone in a pony and trap waiting at Stowe Station. And if my prediction is correct, he'll be a surly fellow with bushy eyebrows and thick side whiskers. Ask to be taken to Chumley's. You'll be there in time for dinner. Watson took Holmes' advice. When he arrived at his destination, it was white over. The locals had an expression for it. They called it... Snow on the World. He approached the pony and trap that Holmes had predicted would be there. Sure enough, the driver was a surly fellow with bushy eyebrows and thick side whiskers. Watson marvelled at Holmes's prescience, then rapped on the door. I say, my man, I want to go up the road and into Stowe. He rapped. Immediately they set off, it was clear to Watson that the pony was ill. It's just a little horse, sir, the driver replied. Am I your last fair? asked Watson. Last, sir, you'll be that all right. Last for some time, by the looks of the weather, or you reckon it'll be a while before anything gets in or out of stow. We'll be isolated, marooned. When they reached Chumley's, Watson was about to pay when the driver tore off his eyebrows and his side whiskers to reveal himself as Holmes! But why the disguise? By way of explanation, Holmes produced a cutting from the previous day's times which he invited Watson to read. For one night only, Stowe Opera and Drama Society present Dick Whittington performed by a select cast before a select audience. Sounds like Radio Sheffield Live "'But there was no need to go to all this trouble, Holmes. "'You could have simply asked me for a ticket. "'I'm not here to snigger at double entendres "'or watch some dick with his favourite pussy. "'Don't you see, Watson? "'Some of the world's finest minds "'will be gathered in the same place at the same time. "'You'll be there, too. "'If some evil doer were to take it into his, or her, head "'to do away with them before the end, "'we'd never reach the the finale. finale. "'Exactly. "'And all the rehearsing would be for nothing.' It sounds even more like Radio Sheffield Live. Even more importantly, think of the loss to the worlds of science, of literature, of art. Watson thought of the loss for a moment, then said, We should inform the police. No, Watson, this evildoer must be caught. Let us go into Chumley's. Once inside, they found the largest gathering of eminent Victorians ever assembled. Holmes decided to address them. "'even though he'd missed the last post. "'You think you are here for a pantomime,' he began. "'But I have to tell you that you are not.' "'Oh, yes, we are,' they chorused. "'No, no, you're not,' Holmes insisted. "'Oh, yes, we are.' "'It was the worst case of repetitive refrain syndrome "'that he'd ever heard.' "'He turned to Charles Dickens. "'I deduced from the ink spots about your person "'that you wrote the script.' "'They are not ink spots, Mr. Holmes.' "'Then I deduced that you are in need "'of a powerful anti-acne cream.' But I'm right about your having written the script. You are. Is there any point at which the entire cast is on stage at the same time? There is. In the final scene, they are gathered round the dining table when someone, wearing a gorilla suit, enters carrying the traditional flaming Christmas dessert. I call it... Pudding on the Ritz. Mr. Darwin was eager to play the gorilla. He told Monsieur Proust that it reminded him of times past. This could be a two-pipe problem, said Holmes. The good news is... I brought two pipes with me. The bad news is they're both down pipes. Nevertheless, I expect them to be a great comfort while I search for the solution to this matter. Meanwhile, I suggest you continue with rehearsals. Watson showed an unexpected gift for dressing as a woman. Miss Twining provided the tea, Monsieur Pasteur the milk, and Mr Tate and Mr Lyle the sugar. mister Edison did the lighting, and Mr Kipling kept them amused with one of his exceedingly good stories. The costumes were provided by Mr Marks and Mr Spencer, who were only too happy to exchange anything that didn't fit properly, provided a receipt could be produced, which was the case with a small French artist. Too loose, Lautrec? asked Mr Spencer. Monsieur Lautrec said that it was, and apologised for having lost his receipt, but offered a poster advertising Marks and Spencer's stall in Cheapside. Capital, said Mr Marks, "'borrowing an expression from his cousin, Carl. "'When the show began, after a short delay, "'Holmes found to his surprise "'that he was sitting beside Charles Darwin. "'I thought,' said Holmes, "'that you were to play the gorilla. "'Unfortunately,' said Darwin, "'the part requires a degree of physical exertion "'for which I am not fitted. "'Therefore auditions were held "'to find the fittest person for the part. "'He had difficulty getting here, "'which is why Curtain Up was delayed. "'Because we had to await the arrival of the fittest,' "'said Holmes.' Who exactly will be playing the gorilla? But Darwin's reply was lost in the applause as the curtain rose. The evening went down a bomb. By the final act, even Holmes was joining in the fun. The cast were gathered round the dining table when the gorilla entered, carrying an enormous Christmas pudding and a box of matches. As he, or she, was about to strike one, Holmes leapt to his feet and shouted the only words he knew that could stop the show and thereby avert the tragedy that he now realised was about to happen. HEALTH AND SAFETY! He cried. The show stopped instantly. There's no need to worry, said Watson from the stage. He, nor she, is striking the match away from him, or herself. It's not his health and safety I'm worried about, said Holmes. It's yours. Then, spotting Inspector Lestrade, he told him to arrest the gorilla. There's no law against dressing up as a gorilla, said Lestrade. There is when it's part of your plan to blow our finest minds, and Watson, to smithereens... Just then, the actor in the gorilla suit removed his gorilla head to reveal that he was none other than Professor Moriarty. He threw his head at Holmes, then fled. A moment later came a terrible scream from outside as he fell into the hole that Inspector Lestrade had been looking into. "'Tell me, Holmes,' said Watson, as they tucked into their turkey the following day. "'What made you suspect the gorilla?' "'Well,' said Holmes, It was partly the distinctive whiff of Peruvian cheroots at the stage door and partly the traces of red clay normally found only along the upper reaches of the Limpopo that I observed on his shoes, but mainly it was this receipt that I spotted in the box office. And here he produced the receipt. It reads, Received with thanks from the Nobel Mining and Dynamite Company. Holmes in Love. Sherlock Holmes was fiddling with his pipe when he received a female visitor. She announced herself as Miss Elementary and surprised Holmes by deducing that he needed a good shag. It's the way you're fumbling in your tobacco pouch, she explained, then went on to say that she had come to offer herself as his assistant. "'I'm not sure I need one,' stammered Holmes. "'Nevertheless,' she replied, handing him her CV, "'I'd like you to read this. "'I shall return tomorrow for your answer.' "'The following morning, having read Miss Mentry's impressive CV, "'he answered the door excitedly, "'but found it was a postal delivery operative. "'I was expecting a woman,' he said, "'trying to hide his palpable disappointment.' You should get out more, the postal delivery operative replied gruffly. Then in one seamless movement, off came the hat and the uniform, the bag of letters fell to the floor and Holmes beheld, Miss Mentri. I'm a mistress of disguise, she announced, to which Holmes replied that indeed she was, except for two rather obvious points. Her brogues were not a GPO standard issue. She conceded this then accepted Holmes's invitation to enter his rooms. Once inside, she gave him a letter from his amanuensis, Dr Watson. Holmes explained that he and Inspector Lestrade were on holiday in the Cornish seaside resort of Five Bays. I know it well, said Miss Mentry. As the name suggests, it consists of five bays. B Bay, where they keep hives. Double D Bay, where they make large braziers." She could see from Holmes's expression that this was not his area of expertise. So she continued, In Peabay, they grow peas. In Bay they produce the nation's favourite beverage. And then there's the place where they hold auctions. eBay, Holmes deduced. He read Watson's letter aloud to her. There's nothing like watching a row of boys bobbing about in the water as yachts weave in and out of them. Lestrade and I have found an excellent hostelry. The seamen's Arms, where local seamen can be seen to gather, and an eatery, Mick Steins, where fine, if somewhat overpriced, seafood is served. He goes on to say that the town band contains a surprising number of German cooks. Kaiser chefs, said Miss Mentry. They're appearing all over Europe. There are rumours that they plan to conquer the world. Starting with Cornwall, said Holmes. What a devilish plan! He decided that he must go to Five Bays without delay and asked Miss Mentry to accompany him. She agreed with alacrity. He would reserve a couchette on that evening's Cornish sleeper. To avoid suspicion, they would travel as Mr. and Mrs. Columbo. He told himself that her deductive prowess and her local knowledge were the reasons for his interest in her. But in truth, something was stirring within him that an hour alone with his pipe couldn't satisfy. Aboard the Cornish sleeper, Holmes took the upper berth, hoping not to disturb Miss Mentry should he toss and turn. It had been a long time since he'd entered a tunnel at the dead of night. The last occasion had been with Watson, who had been a reluctant participant, but Miss Mentry was determined to enjoy herself below him in the lower berth, and chortled into the early hours. Arriving at Five Bays, they made for the Bayview Hotel, where Holmes had booked them a room. It's enormous, said Miss Mentry, gazing out of the window across the bay. It's the largest in the West Country, said Holmes. You could float a battleship in it, and I think you'll find this pleasantly firm. He indicated the double bed that, in order to maintain their subterfuge, the room possessed. Then he suggested that they have a fine, if overpriced, lunch at Mick Stein's. After which he would meet Watson and Lestrade in the Seaman's Arms while Miss Mentry reconnoitred five bays. She would have liked to have joined him in the Seaman's Arms, but Holmes felt that she would stand out too much. I could dress as a cabin boy, she said. Holmes found the offer appealing, but decided not to mix work with pleasure. At the Seaman's Arms Watson was drinking alone. To Holmes's inquiry about Lestrade, He replied that a hole had appeared in the promenade, and he was looking into it. Holmes then revealed that he was accompanied by a female. "'What's her name?' asked Watson. "'Elementary, my dear Watson,' replied Holmes. "'Wise not to bring her here,' said Watson. "'Women and seamen don't mix.'" Meanwhile, in a hitherto insignificant German principality... The Count was asking his Minister for World Domination about the latest invasion plan. "'It will take place this evening at the Cornish Seaside Resort of Five Bays,' the Minister declared. "'That is where mixtein, says fine, if overpriced seafood is it not?' asked the Count, to which the Minister replied that it was, and that, if anything, prices had gone up. "'And yet people still go there,' said the Count.' Never will I understand the English. However, the minister continued, my spine informs me that the bargains can still be had in eBay. In that case, said the count, be careful who you slaughter. Who is our man in five ways, by the way? The minister replied that he was a certain professor by the name of Professor Moriarty. Professor, Professor Moriarty, said the count, I hope that he lives up to his name. That evening Holmes had his binoculars trained on the bay when a flashing light appeared from Mick Stein's. It's Morse, said Miss Mentry. What's he doing here? asked Holmes. Morse code, she elaborated. It says, invasion to night confirmed. Realizing that there was no time to lose, Holmes was almost through the door before Miss Mentry grabbed his Webley, and suggested that he take it. He spurned the suggestion, asking rhetorically, "What could befall him on a balmy evening in a sleepy Cornish seaside resort? You might be jostled by locals angered by the rise in house prices caused by the influx of second homeowners," said Miss Mentry. Holmes paused, admitting that there was something in what she said, or she continued, they might vent their frustration at the demise of the fishing industry by removing your deerstalker and trampling it underfoot. Holmes was sorely tempted. Their fingers touched along the steely hardness of the Webley's barrel, but he withdrew his hand at the last moment, saying that he would go unarmed. Reaching the bay, Holmes became aware of eerie sounds and strange shadows among the boats that were moored there. Watson and Lestrade had been on their way back from the seamen's arms when they'd succumbed to the soporific effects of their special brew and had fallen asleep on the esplanade. Holmes woke them and told them about the flashing light coming from Mick Steins. What's that got to do with the price of fish? asked Lestrade, who had slipped easily into a nautical persona. Nothing, came an unexpected voice from the saucy Sue. It was Moriarty. The saucy Sioux had been converted into a pocket battleship, and he was pointing a six-pounder at them. You'll never get away with it, Holmes exclaimed. On the contrary, said Moriarty, an invasion fleet is already on its way. But it will never reach these shores, came another unexpected voice from the saucy Sioux. Miss Mentry had climbed aboard, dripping wet and dressed as a cabin boy, and cradling a huge mackerel. "'How would you like a slap in the face with a wet fish?' "'She continued, indicating the mackerel. "'I've already had one at Mick Stein's,' Moriarty replied, "'and it wasn't to my taste. "'Perhaps this will be more to your taste,' she said, "'producing Holmes's Webley and squeezing the trigger. "'Moriarty disappeared in the smoke from the discharge. "'A moment later they heard a splash "'from the far side of the saucy zoo. "'He's fallen in the water!' observed Watson. Yes, said Miss Mentry, throwing the mackerel after him. Tonight he'll sleep with the fish. Now all that remains for us to do here is to send a message in Morse code cancelling the invasion. Tell me, said Holmes to Miss Mentry as they all waited for the train back to Paddington. What made you suspicious? Well, said Miss Mentry, it was partly the stench of putrefying cod coming from Mick Steins. "'I thought it always smelt that way,' Watson interjected. "'No,' said Miss Mentry. "'It usually smells of putrefying haddock, "'and it was partly the way the herring formed an orderly queue "'at the fish canning factory, "'but mainly it was something I discovered at the Tourist Information Centre, "'and here she produced a brochure from her capacious handbag. "'Professor Moriarty's Rough Guide to Five Bays and World Domination.'" That evening, Holmes asked Watson if he'd ever been in love. "'There was this filly out in India,' said Watson, his eyes becoming dewy. "'How did you approach her?' asked Holmes. "'In the usual way. Put me foot in the stirrup and swung me leg over.' "'Miss Mentry is a bit lacking in the stirrup department,' said Holmes. Watson concurred, then said, "'Splendid fetlocks, though.' "'Yes.' Said Holmes. Splendid. The Cornucopia Radio Show podcast, proving there's more to the internet than just pornography, skateboarding dogs, and Nigerian businessmen.